Well, Paul is trying to help Timothy out. He's pastoring the church in Ephesus, which is a rather large church, a rather intellectual church. Um, and one of the main things we saw in chapter one is that the church was being infiltrated with all kinds of spurious and false teachings. And so Paul is trying to give Timothy some pointers to make his ministry not so grueling on him, not so difficult for him. But he was quite miserable wanting to leave, and Paul encouraged him to stay. And here's some pointers that hopefully will make things a little clearer, and you can act on them and make things a little easier. Last week, we looked through the four different types of believers there are in the church, because it says in verse 1, some will depart from the faith. And as believers that our salvation is a gift of God, and the gifts in the colony of God are irrevocable, we don't really believe that believers can lose their salvation. That once they receive the Lord, their name is in the book of life to never be taken out. But we did see there are true, sincere believers that are growing in the Lord, that are praying and watching And they're studying the Bible to know what kind of attacks are going to come from the enemy and be prepared for them. That's virtually what we're looking at tonight. There are false believers, and we looked at that, those people that Satan has added to the church, and you can't tell if they're a weed or wheat. All you know is that uh, they're growing up alongside the wheat until the end of the days, and God will sort it out. And then there's wounded believers, and people that are struggling with bitterness, unforgiveness. In Ephesians 4, it says Satan gets a foothold in the door, a root in our life. And through that, many can become defiled. But often bitter people will depart from the faith for a time until they, they come to that place to really surrender it, whatever their bitterness and, and hurt and uh, rejection and whatever it is, and really give it to the Lord and have a, a truly surrender. And then there are weak believers. These are babes, immature Christians, and they really shouldn't be babes or immature Christians because they've been around for years, decades, but they've, they've never really applied themselves to grow in the Lord. They just sort of show up, half listen, leave, come in late, leave as soon as they can. And, and so when these false teachers come and they're very charismatic guys and they have smooth words and, and it sounds very tantalizing, this doctrine they, they will often get caught up with the latest fad. <laughs> they'll, they'll jump in line in the latest parade and, and be a part of it without really understanding that this is false doctrine that's leading them astray. And again, they'll come back, but beaten up and bruised, unfortunately. So in chapter 1, we saw there that Paul warned in verse 3 about bad doctrine. In verse 6, People sprouting worthless words instead of the truth of the gospel. In verse 7 through 11, uh, misunderstood law and misunderstood gospel. They're teaching the law. They don't know what in the world they're talking about. And finally, at the end of that chapter, he named two guys by name, Hyamedes and Alexander, who he delivered over to Satan for a season till they learned not to blaspheme. And um, we see in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 14 and 15, if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. 
So when somebody is getting caught up in this weird doctrine and they're being led astray, you, you simply don't give them the fellowship as if they were a Christian walking in the light. They're your brother, but right now they are uh, carrying the, the coronavirus, you know, so to speak. <laughs> and you need to keep your social distancing from them. And, and not giving them that fellowship would hopefully bring them uh, into shame and, and to say, hey, I, 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 there's broken fellowship. What's going on? Well, it's your believing false truth. But Paul says there's a fine line there. We don't want to treat him uh, as an enemy. He's not. He's just a weak brother who never really got grounded, never really got strong in the true doctrine. And so it wasn't that difficult for him. When he did decide to start learning, he started to learn false stuff rather than really dig in and start learning the true stuff. And at some point, God will humble him and then he'll be open to listen to the truth. In Romans 16, in verse 17 and 18, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and, notice here, avoid them. The same type of thing, social distancing. And... Some are causing division, some aren't. Some are just offending the body with these spurious doctrines. For those who are such do not deserve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. They don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And smooth words, flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. That's a nice word for saying weak or foolish believers. And so... In chapter 4, Paul returns to now give us exhortation, once again, about false teachings. And let's look at those verses here, because he tells us that as we get familiar with this, we'll understand we're in the last days when these things start coming to pass. They're signs of the times, of the end of the last days. So in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, now the Spirit expressly says, specifically, emphatically, says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God created and to receive with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, for nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So interesting here, he says that this is something the Spirit is emphatically speaking. How did the Spirit speak it? I don't know. Maybe in a prophecy uh, in the church, um, we, we do see, for example, in Acts 8.29, the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip, the evangelist, to go join himself with the chariot of an Ethiopian and shared the Lord with him. Acts 10, why, Paul, why Peter was praying, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, go with these men uh, to Cornelius' house. In Acts 13.2, when the guys were praying and ministering to the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have for them as apostles. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to Paul saying, this scripture will eventually apply to those who are in the last days of the last days. <laughs> the actual end times, we saw it last week in Acts 2, where Peter's quoting Joel. And it starts with the day of Pentecost. And it goes till 
the end of the tribulation. Joel gives description of the moon turning to blood and these things that if you read, study Revelation, you know it's the end of the seven-year tribulation period. So it goes through the tribulation period where God's spirit is pouring out and people can still believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved even in the tribulation period. But some will depart from the faith. Some of these people are apostates. We talked about that last week in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, quote unquote, whose end will be according to their works. So it's not obvious. It's not obvious. They look like righteousness. They look like light. They, they look like they're truly from Christ. In the first look, and those who are not discerning, you, you're like, man, no, this guy's a true brother. When he was talking, oh, man, it, it rejoiced my heart. Well, he, he minimized Jesus. We just saw at the end of chapter 3, this creed about Christ and him coming in the flesh and him being God and raising again. And, and they're, they're all, all, Satan is always wanting to minimize Christ. You look in the Jehovah Witnesses, he's just an angel. You look in the Mormons, Jesus is just the brother of Lucifer, a God of an infinite amount of gods. He was a man who became God, which is an impossibility. The Muslim religion, he's just a prophet. They're always minimizing Jesus. And in, in the Catholic Church, you know, it's all about Mary and little Jesus is, you know, this little baby there. With the, and, 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 you know, why do you not pray to directly Jesus, but to the saints or to Mary? Because, you know, we don't want to bother Jesus. He's a busy guy. So we'll, we'll, we'll be humble and not talk to him. Well, man, if there's one thing that you learn in the New Testament, every single book just about of the New Testament tells us that Christ wants that personal relationship where we are coming to him directly all the time and never break that fellowship with him. But you'll find that they always minimize Jesus and then they scream the importance of their organization. To be right with God, you also have to be right with the organization. So if you wanna to go to heaven, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, you've gotta be a part of the Watchtower Society. If you want to go to heaven according to the Mormons, you've got to be a part of the Mormon church and a faithful member who's accepted and goes through the various baptisms and, and so forth. If you want to be right with God, you've got to be a part, a member of the Catholic church. And you just keep going right on down the line. We do not believe that. We believe there are many, many believers that are Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian and Lutheran and yes, even Catholic that we know love the Lord and we accept them as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We do not believe we're the only right church. Not at all. And, and, and you don't have to go to Calvary Chapel to go to heaven. You don't have to be a part of Calvary Chapel to be right with God. We very much are pointing you to Jesus saying what God's doing in our fellowship is sweet and we'd love you to be a part of this. But in no way do we think we have an, 
organization here that, and we're the only organization that really is close to God. All other groups are, are minimal compared to us. We, we would not say that. That would be a prideful thing to say. Um, and so the Spirit expressly is speaking in some way in these last days. And um, we, we see here that some are going to depart from the faith. We uh, see here in 1 Timothy 1, okay, there we, that's why, I, here's page three over here. Okay, I was like, oh my goodness. I'm really not that bad. Typically, I know what's going on. So um, some will depart from the page. This is apostate, apostate believers. First John 2, 19, they went out from us because they were never of us. They went out from us that it would make it obvious that they were never of us. In 1 Timothy um, 1, 6, we talked about this. And in verse, 1 Timothy 6, where it said, some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk. And this is people, again, who turn aside for a while and they go through a bumpy, hard time, usually a humbling time, and then they come back. In 1 Timothy 1, we talked about Hermenides and Alexander. Paul said, I delivered them to Satan. They may learn not to blaspheme. These guys were teaching really bad demonic doctrine. And they would not repent because pride, you'll find pride, is always a big part of false teachers. They really feel they got a corner on the truth. And nobody in 2,000 years of the church have ever taught it but them. And, but they're right. You know that old saying, if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. That's a, it's a very good little saying to keep with. But notice here, it says there, he's, he's not throwing them off to Satan to go to hell. He's saying, I'm turning them over to get spanked. Remember in 1 Corinthians 5 when the, mar- the guy married his stepmother <laughs> and, and the church was rejoicing and Paul, what did he say there? Hey, I can't be there in person, but I, with your spirit, you excommunicate that guy so his body's destroyed that his soul might be saved. Kick him out of the fellowship until he repents of this immorality that's not even happening amongst the heathen. Even the non-believers think it's immoral. And then we find in 2 Corinthians, the guy did repent. And Paul said, now go get him and bring him back into the fellowship. In 2 Timothy 4, we see Demas, having forsaken me, loving this present world, has departed. Again, it doesn't mean departed forever. It's simply, he's saying, he got off course. The love of this present world got into his soul and and his weakened condition, whatever it was. He was led astray. And then it says they end up giving heed to deceiving or seducing spirits. The thing is with this seducing, it's a slow moving. It's a slow moving. And then he also says just doctrines of demons. It's just right from the pit of hell. Probably similar to what Eve heard in the Garden of Eden. You know, you don't have to be so suppressed. You could be God yourself. You could be equal to God. You can have the power of God. You can do whatever God can do. And, and you see many of these 
groups today espousing such things and it's the power is coming from them and the, their anointing and, and they're, they have this, this special supernatural power that they, they say. It's always ends up being turned out to be a sham. But um, we got to be careful because this is how he comes in and joins. Satan would rather join us and pervert us than to try to stand outside with fiery darts and, you know, have a, a real offensive. He's a sneak. He's a snake. He slithers in and tries to look like one of us. In 2 Timothy 3.1, Paul says, this is one of the clearest things that marks the last days. You know, we, see, we read Matthew 24 where it says, the last days is going to be famines and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars. And he says these things are the beginning pangs. So it's sort of like these are kind of things that are happening in every generation. But then the last generation, it, it says that it'll happen quickly. They're going to come more often closer together. Whether it's famines and earthquakes or wars or rumors of wars, it's going to keep coming closer. It's like the birth pangs, he said of giving birth. They're more intense and they're closer together, right? But really, the clearest signs of the last day we find in Timothy and 2 Timothy. And he says in 2 Timothy 3.1, know this that in the last days perilous times will come. And he tells us in verse 5, I wish I could read the whole chapter, I can't, but in verse 5 he says in 2 Timothy, having a form of godliness, but denying his power. And from such people turn away. They, they, they are not pretending to be evil. They're pretending to be righteous. They're not pretending to be against us. They're pretending to be one of us. That's why it's so perilous for the church and for pastors. And I talked about last week, I have met some people that are spurious type people, shady people, pastors I'm talking and and different events I've been at and I'm telling you these guys were born out of the womb charismatic and through the years they have polished it and reworked it and they are nothing more than manipulators if they were selling insurance they would be the top if they were selling ice to an Eskimo they'd be successful but they're pastors or they're somehow in the church with some ministry. And, and I'm telling you that I don't care that millions of people tune in and watch them or support them. It is scary how powerful they are and how they're not coming out with 99% lie. They're coming out with 99% truth. But that 1% of poison is plenty to slowly seduce and steer people's eyes off of Jesus onto them often. Their name is in lights. <laughs> I remember back there was a guy named Ernest Ainsley. I don't know if you guys remember that guy. But here's Ernest Ainsley and Ernest Ainsley Hall and Ernest Ainsley, whatever state it was, on Ernest Ainsley Street. And I'm not kidding. It was, it was like... And then, and then he's like, hey, brothers and sisters. And, you know, the first knee-jerk reaction is, this is a joke. Who would follow? He has millions of followers. 
And, and it's scary to, to, to realize that, wow, when people are hurting and they hear a voice of, of hope, they're, they're willing to open their hearts and, and receive what little truth he has given, but then they're slowly seduced away from getting their eyes on Jesus and the simplicity that's in Christ and just simply following him. And I hope tonight you don't walk away from here going, wow, I, I could never make it without Brian. I could never make it without Calvary Chapel Los Alamitos. This is, man, this is my church. Without it, I'd be nothing. No, man, we, we somehow preached the wrong message here. <laughs> it's Jesus is who we need. All I am is a traffic cop out in the middle of the four-way saying, pause, stop, you guys go this way. What do you need? Oh, that way to Jesus. Oh, you need that way to Jesus. That's the only thing I'm doing up here. He goes on in 2 Timothy 3, verse 7 through 9, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. These guys are always coming up with new things, but none of it's truth. Such are Jannies and Jambres, many believed were Jewish servants of Pharaoh. And a lot of their theology came out of Judaism, came from the law. But now they had this twisted religion mixed with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with a demonic source. And they resisted Moses. So do these also resist the truth? Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. But what do we know about Jannies and Jambres? They, they were impressive guys. I mean, they were matching Moses. Miracle for miracle for a while, right? <laughs> and then finally, they're like going, we can't do that. That's the hand of God. But even then, these guys didn't repent and become followers of the truth. He goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3 9, they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Eventually, um, their game is up. And unfortunately, many people who got their eyes on man or on that organization, they're stumbled badly. I have some relatives that are very dear to me. I had an uncle and he was so open, raised totally non-religious, no religion. And a guy got a hold of him and invited him to church, but my uncle was a wealthy uh, guy and they focused in on him as a money man and they manipulated lots of money out of him until it was so obvious they weren't trying to lead him to the Lord. They were just trying to cash him out. And he never again opened his heart to the Lord until the last year before he died, which was this last year. But it was sad. And I have a, a, a cousin the same way. He, they basically said, it's us, it's our organization, it's our, uh, you know, miracle wonder, and he bought hook, line, and sinker until he got into the inside, and then he saw their hypocrisy and their lies, and that they weren't following what they preached. They were preaching a holy doctrine, but they were not holy behind the scenes, quite the opposite, and it stumbled him to say, God's a crack, uh, crackpot and, and religion's a crackpot. They're a bunch of hypocrites. 
my cousin, again, was raised non-religious, and so this was that one opportunity. And, of course, we were there. We tried to tell him. But it's just hard when they're such babes in the Lord and they're not growing in the Lord and not really learning the Bible at the church they're going to. But it says in 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men are and imposters, imposters will what? Grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They drink their own Kool-Aid. They, they believe their own press. You know, it's like Bloomberg. You know, he owns all the big media thing and his own newspaper says, Bloomberg's a great guy. What an amazing businessman. Great father. And he picks up his own newspaper and he, you know, believes his own press. Yeah, it is, they, these guys are hook, line, and sinker. They, they know they're not true, but they start believing that they are. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. This is the society we live in. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth, be turned aside to fables. You know, it is pretty amazing what we're doing here tonight. We got all of you guys here willing to just you knew before you showed up, most of you, except the visitors here tonight, <laughs> we're going to just go verse by verse through the Bible. And we're going to do Genesis and Leviticus and Leviticus? Yes, we are. And, and the minor prophets and Zechariah and Zephaniah. We're, we go through it all. And it's hard. Some, some of these books are, are very tough books to study through. But yet we, we, we know that we have a hunger for that. And even if we don't, we know that this is where we get fed and grow through this teaching of the word. But the day's gonna come where they only wanna hear a message that's gonna tickle their ears and be painless to come in and out, be entertained. Second Peter 2, 1 says, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you, among you who were secretly bringing in destructive heresies, even trying to deny the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. Peter's saying, it's already happening. These are end time things. He's saying, this is what's gonna happen in the last of the last days. You can already see it now to a degree, but it's gonna be much more prolific in the days before the coming of the Lord. In 1 John 4, 3, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come into the flesh is of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard from where it was coming and is now already in the world, denying Jesus is even Christ and even that he came into human flesh to be the substitute for us. Well, moving along here to 1 Timothy 4, 2, they speak lies, seeking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. It's interesting as we get ready to go here, we're going to see, well, what are these giant hypocrisies? What, are, what is this evil teaching? Are they attacking the deity of Christ or the Trinity or the virgin birth? Or what are they attacking? And we're going to find out here, it's about laws concerning marriage and food. Do you understand the seducing spirit? They, they know they can't come out <laughs> and tell you Jesus is Satan. They did in the Gospels, remember? Oh, we know you, Jesus. You're doing the power by Bezalbal, by the leader of the demons of the Galilee region. He said, hey, you've crossed the line. 
This is now you're blaspheming the spirit. You're, you're crossing the line there. And, uh, and so these groups are, are trying to tell you how to be holy by not marrying and, and, and keeping yourself from certain foods. Remember back when the early church, the bunch of group of Pharisees started getting saved. And, and Paul found out this group of Pharisees were going behind him, teaching the churches he had started. They got it to some degree to keep the law of Moses. And Paul said, no way. And they come back and he said, Peter, gang, this can't happen. And Peter speaks up in Acts 15.10. And he says, now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? You see, I don't care what the list of rules are. We honestly can't keep them. That's our sinful nature. I mean, what did Adam and Eve have to do? Not eat a piece of fruit. I mean, can you believe this? Out of the billions trees, how many of you guys have gone into the grocery store saying, hey, that grape looks good. Let me try one first. And then you don't buy any grapes. But you're like, oh, that one is pretty good. I wonder if the nether one is equally as good. Some of you guys, they might need to weigh you next time they go in the grocery store and weigh you again when you come out, charge you by the pound. But yeah, the fact is, it doesn't matter how small it is. If it's a law, we will break it. But yet, outwardly, they appear righteous and pious, and they have this outward holiness, like the Pharisees. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27, 28? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like white washed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness even so you are outwardly appear righteous to men but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness that's what you're we're going to be looking at they're totally when they start giving you laws and not do this do that to be holy they're not keeping it they can't And what is this? It's these men have deceived themselves thinking they are holier than others, like Satan, in their self-righteous pride, have become deceived to the point of no return. It says their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They are past filling. Their conscience can no longer fill the guilt of their hypocrisy. Jude says this in Jude 1, 17 and 18, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. 2 Peter 3, verse 3 and 4, knowing this verse, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they are from the beginning of creation. Well, he tells us about the two doctrines that are going to be major. Forbidding to marry, he says in verse 3, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Forbidding to marry, commanding not suggesting, not teaching, but you can see the kind of leadership going on here. They feel they can command you 
command you to abstain from certain foods. Legalistic efforts to make yourself holy in your body. Well, you know why you're struggling with lust, don't you? And now they tell you, you, got, you should be a vegetarian or whatever it is. In Colossians 2, verse 20 and 22, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to the regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern the things which perish with the using, according to commandments and the doctrines of men. Well, I'm going to put these two things together, forbidding to marry and abstaining from certain foods. There's only one group I know about that does both of those things. That's the Catholic Church. The priests and the nuns can't marry. And they are, at least on certain Fridays, they're not supposed to eat meat. It's interesting that they can eat meat, they just can't eat, they can eat fish, but not meat. Fish. Oh, it's a vegetable. Um, do I think this is talking about the Catholic Church? Not at all. Not at all. Um, do I think it's unwise that somewhere along the line in their tradition they said their priest shouldn't marry? I do. I think a lot of harm has come to a lot of the priests and the nuns themselves that would have been better off serving in the capacity they served but married. And it seems like the Catholic Church is sort of coming around to that concept again themselves. But we think about Paul and Luke and Titus and Timothy and Silas and they all chose to remain single. Paul says plainly, I thought about getting married, but then I knew God's calling on my life and dragging a wife along, you know, getting beat up when I get beat up and thrown in prison when I get thrown in. No, I, I just could not do that. So I chose not to marry. And then he tells other people, hey, this single life, there's a huge advantage to it. In 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 33, but I want you to be without care. He was unmarried, cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. Now, my experience is most single people are not just thinking about the Lord. They're thinking about the fact they're single and they wish they were married. So, I, but with Paul and his particular ministry, that's the case. But notice the big difference here. He was not commanding anybody to stay unmarried. And he definitely was talking about his singleness was useful in his calling. And, and he did not in any way discourage anybody else from getting married. He just simply said, there's a big advantage to being single. Don't think that uh, getting married is, is, is some great thing if uh, you're going to especially go into all the world and preach the gospel and get beat up and thrown in prison and put to death like we are. Um. And then he says, God created food to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Remember in Mark 7, 15, they were discussing this about taking defiled things into their body. Of course, it was more about they weren't washing their hands ceremonially properly, so their food was defiled. But in, in Mark 7, 15, he says, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, 
Those are the things that defile him. He goes on in Mark 7, 18 to 23. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated. Uh, TMI, too much information here. And uh, they purify the food. So, okay. And he said, what goes out of a man, that defiles a man. From within, out of his heart of men proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So God is not trying to deal with foods to make you holy and not eating or eating. That's not a part of it. Of course, in the Jewish tradition, they did have a long list of foods they were not to eat. And again, we go back to look at that in that dispensation of time when they were given that. Most of those foods, if not prepared perfectly, would cause serious harm. Uh, such uh, with pigs and shellfish like lobster and stuff and even to this day you better know what you're doing um, or you can really get sick if you don't prepare them properly in Acts 10 you might remember that story where God challenges Peter with this very issue the sheet comes down from out of heaven and all these unclean animals were there and he's hungry he was hungry that's why he was praying waiting for the food to get ready and God said kill and eat and he's like, no, 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 I will not do that, Lord. No way. That's unkosher. And three times it happens. Oh, that's a, rare, that's a hard number for Peter. And God says, what I've cleansed may not be common, called common or unclean. And we talked about last week in Galatians where eventually he was called the hypocrite. Peter was because he was eating with the Gentiles till the Jews from Jerusalem showed up. And then he was all of a sudden kosher. And Paul had to call him a hypocrite in front of everybody and, and tell him to quit being a hypocrite about having some kind of dietary restriction when he didn't in truth. But he goes on to say, every creature of God is good. Nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So if you're on a certain diet for health reasons, that's great. If you're on a certain diet because you're trying to be holy as God is holy, then we have a problem. Paul talks about this plainly in 1 Corinthians 8.8. 8. Food does not commend us to God, for either we, nor do we eat, or are we the better, nor do we not eat, are we the worst? In Colossians 2, verse 14, Jesus on the cross, it says, having wiped out the handwritings of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So the Old Testament law, the 613 Old Testament commandments are gone. Jesus fulfilled them, and therefore we do not have to fulfill them. In verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them. He embarrassed Satan and made him eat dust like the snake. So let no one judge you in food or in drink. Well, that can't get clearer, can it? Or regarding festivals or new moons or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Let no one cheat you of reward, talking, taking delight in false humility, and here it is again, the worship of angels, or we might say the doctrines of demons. Boy, I, 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 it's, it's interesting sometimes where 
I know there's a shop not too far from here. It's a huge shop, and it's all about angels. And they think they're giving glory to God. And I just like to, I thought of it. I'm not, I would never do this, but I thought I'd go in there. Who do you think loves this shop the most? The devil or God? He's a fallen angel. He loves people to worship him. But it's almost a worship of angels sometimes people have when the Bible tells us we are not to worship them. But um, anyway, they, they got this whole angel worship going, this false humility, intruding to those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. He's, he's, he's built up this whole system, read my book, get my tape series, you know, follow me on, the, on Instagram, on my social media or whatever. I've got this whole system. If you follow me, you'll be holy and you'll lose weight and feel healthier or whatever. And not holding fast to the head, whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch. Do not taste. There it is. Do not taste. Do not handle. Which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandment and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value in the indulgence of the flesh. It will not help. So these doctrines of demons, they have not yet revealed themselves yet. The extremity of not marrying and this kind of teaching on various foods. They are in Eastern religions, but they have not infiltrated the church yet. But the Lord has told us over and over again to have these things in our mind, tuck them away in our hearts. So when somebody starts coming and tiptoeing in, turning the water up slowly, we'll have a red flag to go up going, whoa, I know you're a false teacher, even though you don't look like it. You seem like a great person and charismatic guy and you're really friendly and giving and a lot of Christian characteristics are with you, but you are leading people slowly away. Right now it has no big horrible heresy, big heresy to it, but we do know it will lead to big heresies and we can catch it early on. You see, that's the thing. We can catch it early on and say, absolutely not. Rebuke that person and go back to 1 Timothy 4 and remind everybody that we need to be warned and ready in these last days. Amen? Well, the ne next week in verse 6 on, it's just some precious, precious passages to help us uh, to grow in our walk with the Lord. And uh, let's uh, close with a song. Come on up, guys. And Lord, we thank you again for this night. We thank you for the grace and the peace we have in Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, as we have come to seek you first in your kingdom and your righteousness, that you would be pleased in our worship. That you would have rejoiced as we gather together two or three in your name to be in our midst. 
As we sing these couple of songs as we end here tonight, we have communion up here. And communion is uh, taking the, the bread representing the body of Christ and the juice representing the blood of Christ. And the Bible says, as often as you will, this is a time to break bread with the Lord, to meet him at his table, to be touched by the Lord. His body that was broken for us, that we would be healed. By his stripes we are healed. By him being crushed and the chastisement of his well-being fell upon us, that we are healed, that we are forgiven. And if you just want to come in faith and just as you take that bread, just Lord, thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for dying. Heal me, Lord. Help me to be strengthened, to walk in you. And the juice represents the blood has washing us from our sins, has, is, and will. And it's just coming back to that truth. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just to celebrate that new covenant we have, that the good work he started, he will finish by his grace. Amen.